Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Breaking and entering, drunk and disorderly, law and order. A former prosecutor and a defence lawyer, not your typical pairing. And the result? Conversations about crime and punishment that are guaranteed to get you thinking. Welcome to Justice Matters with Joe Crowley and Lizzie Green, a brand new weekly podcast. Our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. Check out our Instagram for clips at Justice Matters Pod. Enjoy the episode. This episode contains descriptions of assault and murder and some animal cruelty. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Joe. Morning, Lizzie. Now, I think today you're going to talk to us about Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly, one of my favourite topics. I've been obsessed with Ned Kelly since I was young. Sounds like a bit of a um, historical discussion. Um, yes, I think so. Uh, and I think it's, you know, in some ways a bit problematic judging the events of the past by the standards of today. But I think in a legal sense, that can be useful to understand where where policing and um, the law came from and sentencing, uh, where it is now. Um, so, I mean, I'm hoping that's going to be useful. Certainly, if nothing else, I, um, I, hope, it's, uh, I hope, hope it's interesting. Well, I, I should just give you a little tidbit of information. According to my family folklore, mm-hmm. Ned Kelly dropped in to have morning tea with my great-great-grandmother. Wow, yes. fantastic, in yes. the northeast of Victoria. So, you know, be careful what you say. Well, well, no, I'm a Ned Kelly supporter. Oh, good. Despite good. the fact that apparently my uh, my mother's maiden name was Scanlon, so Michael Scanlon was one of the police killed at Stringham Ooh. Boat Creek. Apparently he's a relative. See, we are in opposition. There again. you are again. <laughs> different signs. Um, all right, so um, I probably should start with a general overview of Ned Kelly because um, not everybody will be familiar with him. I think probably I learned about him at school. I don't think my kids have ever done stuff on bush rangers of yours. I know my kids had an interest, but not through school. And I, I, I learned about him. I had to learn a whole poem about him. Oh wow! Actually. There you go. So it seems to have dropped off the curriculum, so maybe younger people aren't as familiar. So Ned Kelly was a um, bushranger, um, the head of a gang called the Kelly Gang. It had four members, Dan Kelly, his brother, Steve Hart, who was a friend of um, Ned, uh, a friend of Dan's, Joe Byrne, who was then best friends with Ned Kelly. So there's the four of them, and they um, their 
most famous exploits are the shootout at Stringybark Creek where three policemen are shot dead, bank robbery at a town of Euroa, bank robbery in the New South Wales town of Gerildery, and then 18 months later, um, a shootout at Glen Rowan where Joe Burns shot dead, um, Ned Kelly shot and wounded and captured, and Steve Hart and um, Dan Kelly commit suicide. So this takes place in the period of um, the, the Kelly outbreak, as it's called, is between 1878 and 1880. Ned Kelly's tried, hanged on the 11th of November, 1880. So 11 November is an um, important day in Australian history for that reason, but also because uh, the World War I armistice mm. is 11 November, 1918. And then Gough Whitlam was sacked, 1975, 11 November. Hmm, there so, you go. Yeah, I always remember those things and uh, when we celebrate Armistice Day. What most people know about Ned Kelly is a couple of things. One, he said such is life, allegedly his last words. The historical evidence is that probably weren't his last words, but certainly that's what we think that they were. Before he got hanged. Before he was hanged, hmm. such is life. And that the gang wore bulletproof armour, which I've always been amazed that no other bushranger or outlaw ever thought to put on bulletproof armour. Was a wise idea. Yeah, it was certainly it was bulletproof. I think probably some people say it was their downfall in the end because they stood in a hail of bullets and although they weren't hitting the head and the chest, they were hitting the arms and the legs. I mean, that's how Ned Kelly was caught. They shot him in the knee, which was unprotected, and he fell over. But also I, I wanted really to look at his early life because I think that that is where there's the most to talk about in terms of criminal law. Um, I mean, once they become outlaws after Stringybark Creek, it's hard to justify bank robberies, Cedric Glen Rowan, unless you look at it in a sort of a wider political context. Um, the Kelly gang felt they were at war with um, the government. So assuming it, you're judging by the standards of a war, you might be able to justify those things. But before they become outlaws, um, I think there is some uh, – it's worthwhile looking at some of the things that Ned was charged with and and looking at perhaps how they would have been dealt with today or, or whether he was dealt with unfairly by the system. Because as far as I can recall, I mean, you just said a whole lot of things that he did wrong, mm. yet I would say Ned Kelly has gone down in history as some kind of hero. Mm. So it doesn't really align with – the idea of committing those kinds of crimes but being lauded for it. Yeah. But, I mean, in some sense I think that's the same for, you know, Robin Hood or um, Billy the Kid. I mean, there's a TV series on at the moment about Billy Kid. I do think that these um, these sort of poor people who, you know, are robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, you know, is the Robin Hood phrase. Mm. I think they do sort of go down in sort of the, um, in our in our collective memories as people who should be lauded. And certainly the Kelly gang did give their money away to their the rural poor, their friends and family. You have to wonder when we think about, you know, for example, juvenile crime at the moment and mm. the posting of themselves committing crimes on social media and mm. getting likes, if that would have been a similar kind of reaction if there was social media back in Ned Kelly's day. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there was. Mm. I'm sure there would have been. I mean, the Kelly um, siege at Glen Rowan was one of the first sort of international media events that was recorded in real time. So the... It took so long, you know, it was it was quite a long siege. And so it was being reported in London before the siege had even finished. Wow. By the Telegraph. Yeah, wow. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and certainly Ned and his, um, his friends, uh, you know, took a level of pride in their criminality um, and they talked about being flash and they wore their um, 
they're strapped under their noses as a particular sign of being in that grip. I mean, a bit like the Eshes and them wearing particular things. And they used to wear colourful sashes and things like this, you know, to stand out and to show that they were, you know, this this sort of um, people, I suppose, not to be trifled with, but also some level of flashiness or showiness. Hmm. Um, all right. So Ned Kelly was his first charge that he's convicted. So he's actually charged a number of times in his early life between sort of the ages of 13 and 15. None of them proceed. So he's charged with robbery under arms, the prosecution withdraws, and he's charged, I think, with an assault on a, on a, a, a Chinese merchant. I t- can't remember whether he's acquitted of that or whether it's withdrawn, but it doesn't go ahead. The first time he's charged successfully and goes to jail is two charges. One is of a vicious assault, it's called, which I thought was interesting. Mm. I wondered what the definition of vicious was because um, it seemed a pretty standard assault, you know, what we would call assault occasioning bodily harm now. Yeah. Um, and the other charge at the same time arising out of a related incident was obscene language. Um, which still exists. Which absolutely exists. Yeah. Um, can, can I just ask, yeah. was he from like a, a criminal family? Like mm. was he just a, a bad egg or had he grown up around crime? He certainly had. So, uh, I mean, as you know, Lizzie, um, the um, economics uh, often plays a, a huge role in committing crime. Yeah. If you have nothing, you've got nothing to lose. So uh, people of lower socioeconomic um, standing tend to be um, overrepresented in our jails. Uh, and certainly Ned and his relatives were poor part of the rural poor in victoria and there was economic problems at the time and the ways of uh they set up how they gave out land to people for farms that you know favored certain people and discriminated against others so he and his family uh yeah were economically poor and and really struggled to get out of that trap of being poor and i remember reading things that talked about his mum was his dad around do we know yeah, so his dad, his dad was. Uh, his dad was a convict and then when he was freed, he married his mother who was both of them had been born in Ireland and came out and his father died when Ned was pretty young, I think about 12. Right. You have to wonder what impact that had. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, fatherless families, I think. Uh, I think there is a correlation. I haven't yeah. looked at it between that and, and juvenile crime, particularly with males, yeah. Hmm. Sorry, keep going. No, no, no. These are these are all interesting. Um, I think interesting points. So what happens is the Kellys are poor. Um, they often uh, rent out a room to lodgers, so they have people lodging at their at the Kelly homestead. Um, when I say homestead, it's really a hut. It's like a one room hut with um, you know curtains for to divide up. And the rooms. lodger would stay in the one room. Lodge- well, it's just one large room, and they divide it with curtains. So he's staying in a oh, curtained off room. Yeah, okay. yeah. Very, very close and personal. Wonder how that would go on Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, based on some things that are on Airbnb, it probably would work. People would. <laughs> um, so they have a lodger staying with them, a man called Gould. He's a, a travelling salesman, and he had got his wagon bogged um, in mud, uh, and he had his horse, but his horse wasn't strong enough to pull it out. So he's staying there for a few days. Anyway, in the meantime. Ned finds a horse. Now, he knows who the owner of the horse is, the local people who live in the town, the McCormicks. It's not clear exactly whose idea it was, but someone suggests they use that horse to help the other horse to pull the wagon out of the mud. So they do. Mm-hmm. Then Ned returns the horse to the McCormicks. Now, Mr. and Mrs. McCormick then have a go at him. I'm guessing the horse was dirty and tired, 
from doing all the work and they accuse him of using it to pull the wagon out, which, you know, I think sort of fair cop, you've got to take that. That's what you've done. But, but McCormick then says that Ned's a liar and says that he could whelp um, Ned or any of his family. Huh. Uh, yeah. Charming. Yeah, and uh, and that kind of a challenge was it's not something that um, Ned or I think anyone in his family, um, they were quite pugilistic, they were quite ready to engage in violence, would put up with. So he accepted the challenge to fight. Oh, God. So um, he says that um, as he's getting off the horse to fight, Mrs McCormick smacks his horse and it jumps forward and his fist accidentally collides with Mr McCormick's face. Oh, classic <laughs> defence. Yes. Oh, Lord. So, but I think it's pretty clear that there's some kind of uh, altercation takes place. Ned gets has the best of it, punches him, I think, in the face and McCormick runs off. And that's the vicious assault. That's the vicious assault. Yeah, as I say, it's what we would consider a reasonably minor assault. Yeah. Um, Not okay, but... Relatively minor. Well, when you say not okay, I mean, I think there's there's an element of provocation there. Whether being called a liar and saying, you know, you'd whelp them and their family is enough to be provocative, maybe. But um, certainly it, it, the other thing is a challenge. So, I mean, is it a consensual Consent. fight? Yeah. You know, Interesting. If you're making threats to somebody to, to fight them and they go, sure, let's fight. And I you mean, get that, punched, so be it. Yeah, you, the, the law won't necessarily protect you. So, Do we know what? what the injury was was it bad no no yeah that was a, what i found interesting so nowadays obviously we categorize assaults by the level of injury yeah. so i thought when it was described as a vicious assault oh, that's interesting it's a Did it break his nose yeah. or, you know like that might elevate it but yeah well in our standards you know it might back then i don't know maybe it was the type of assault anyway hmm. vicious assault so he then so then later that day he and gould um uh um, castrating calves, they're cutting their testicles off. Gould then writes an obscene note, we don't know what it said, except that it was obscene, to Mrs McCormick, puts some of the calves' testicles in the note, <laughs> gives it to Ned to send. Ned gives it to his younger, so Ned's 14, 15, he gives it to his younger cousin, Tom Lloyd, and tells Tom to deliver it. It's like Chinese whispers. Yeah. So so Tom then delivers this to Miss McCormick, Obviously, it's obscene. That is then reported to the police along with the assault. And Ned is then charged with both these offences, obscene language and the um, and the vicious assault. Right. Did Gould get charged for the obscene no. language? No. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that's interesting? Well, because he wrote it. Yeah. So, in a way, Ned was as much a messenger as the little cousin. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't... There's a book by Ian Jones, Ned Kelly, A Short Life. I certainly recommend it to people. Um, we'll put the name in the show notes. And that has a really good explanation of why these things turned out the way they did. But Gould's not charged. It's Ned who's charged. Um, just thinking about the testicles. Yes. I teach one case which always causes a little bit of shock for my students when we talk about what the meaning of indecent is mm. these days. And um, the official definition in Queensland of an indecent act is something that is lewd or prurient mm. or that is um, an act of moral turpitude. Yes. And the case authority is a case of Bryant where some wallaby testicles were sent to a complainant in a jewellery box. Jewelry, yeah. So it seems to be not... Uh, not a one-off, no. which I thought it was. Yeah. And certainly that definition of what is um, obscene can change over time based on societal 
Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. But I think sending testicles is still nowadays would be absolutely obscene. Yeah, you'd get a bit of a shock opening yeah. up that jewellery box. Wouldn't you? Gee. Or that letter. So Ned's convicted. He's given three months for both and it seems like it was concurrent. Meaning to serve at the same time. Thank you, to mean to serve at the same time. But he also got a 12-month good behaviour bond. So he had to then, once he got out, yeah, had to be of good behaviour. That comes up in the next charge that he gets charged with. Um, So he goes to jail in November of 1870 and he, as a 15-year-old, comes out as a 16-year-old in March, late March, and that's important, of 1871. Now he gets out, he is living at home. There's another lodger who's staying at the Kelly homestead, a guy called Isaiah Wright, or Wild Wright, as he used to be known. Um, and he was a um, horse breaker by trade, but really a horse thief. So he turns up to the house on this beautiful mare and uh, stays overnight. Next morning, they can't find the mare. So the Kellys loan him a horse. He rides off to do whatever he needs to do. And um, I think Ned's uh, brother-in-law finds the mare, brings it back to the Kelly homestead. Did he find it where he'd hidden it? <laughs> I don't think they stole the horse off the horse thief. They don't know it's a stolen horse. They right. think he's lawfully got it. Right. And he's a horse breaker, so presumably Made he can sense. ride lots of different horses. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ned, who's fresh out of jail, uh, he has some money in his pocket. He decides he's going to shout himself. So he goes to Wangaratta, the closest um, sort of large town, puts himself up in the hotel, and he rides in on this beautiful horse. So, I mean, I assume it's like driving in, an, in a nice car or something. Right. You know? uh, and he says everybody sees him um, and the police see him. And, in fact, he, he meets some girls in there and he lets them ride the horse around in the yard and has a great time okay. and rides back to the town of Greta where, his, uh, where the homestead is. Now, he doesn't know the horse is stolen. Really? Yeah, I thought you were the Ned Kelly well, supporter. I am, well, I am, but he sounds like... A lot of coincidental things happen to him rather than, you know. Well, based on what's happened, happens next. So he's riding through Greta. The local police officer is this violent, dishonest, terrible policeman. He's pretty new to Greta. He was moved from his last post because he violently assaulted somebody so badly and then committed perjury in the magistrate's court and the magistrate said you should probably move this guy out of the district. So he was then moved to Greta, which is interesting because, you know, it was a known trouble spot. The mm. Kelly clan or the Quinns and the Lloyds, all the relatives were were known sort of diff- difficult people for the it police. It would have been deliberate posting him there. Well, I think it was deliberate. Yeah. And, and this shows the sort of the attitude the police mm. had towards him, this guy who was, you know, quite viciously violent. Anyway, so Kelly's riding through town. Uh, now, Hall believes, as it turns out, just on a hunch that the horse is stolen. He doesn't actually know. Hmm. It was after this put in the Police Gazette as a stolen horse, but it not, not at, this, until then. at this point. He decides Kelly's on a stolen horse, probably because it was such a beautiful horse and Ned has this poor 16-year-old that gets such a hmm. great horse. But he doesn't want to say to Ned, you know, I'm going to arrest you. He says there's some papers that you need to sign for your good behaviour bond, your surety, at the station. So Ned is climbing off the horse and Hall tries to grab him. Now, I probably should explain the, the physical differences in them. Hall, Constable Hall is 33 years old at this point. He is over six foot and 16 stone, which is over 100 kilos. Wow. Massive man. 
Ned Kelly is 16 years old, five foot ten, so quite tall, uh, and he weighed 11 stones, so 70 kilos. Okay, big disparity. Big disparity. Despite that, no, I mean Ned Kelly goes on to be this legendary fighter and boxer, and he shows sort of examples of that in his young life. So Hall tries to grab him as he's getting off the horse. Now Hall says that he said to Kelly, "I'm arresting you." At that point, Ned says he didn't say that. So Ned, this police officer grabs him. So Ned, there's a there's some kind of wrestle which ends up in Hall being thrown on the ground. Ned pushes him or trips him. Hall's on the ground. Foolish. Now, Ned says. I could have, if I wanted to, put my foot on his neck right then and, and held him there. But he was concerned about his good behaviour bond. <laughs> He's just punched a police officer. Well, he, well, oh, he didn't sorry, punch him. Or yeah. pushed him. Because this, this is interesting. So Ned makes this distinction between he's, he felt he couldn't punch anybody because of his good behaviour. He didn't seem to have any problems wrestling people or pushing them. Or, so, I'm not. I mean, nowadays that wouldn't. Well, and I wonder if that comes back to that idea of consent. Like if you're going to wrestle with someone, or mm. then it's a fair fight, yeah. you know? Whereas if you're punching someone, I guess that is a level of malice behind that. Well, there's certainly, yeah, certainly an extra level of violence. Yeah. But, I mean, what do you think about this? I mean, in a good behaviour bond, it seems to me that if you are even wrestling people in the street, you are potentially in breach here. Oh, yeah. You Although, have, it's not just confined to punching people. I mean, look, I haven't looked at these for a while, but good behaviour bonds, we in prosecution used to say it's just a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Like they had no teeth. They didn't yeah. really, you know, yeah. they didn't really restrict anything. Yeah. And... I, I think there was a lot of latitude, or I don't know if there still is, in carrying out that good behaviour bond. Yeah. So, so that, these were the old versions, and you'd be familiar with no doubt, where people had to pay money to be held on trust at the court. Oh, uh, yeah. And if you breached your good behaviour bond, that money was forfeited. forfeited. And so, of course, the Kellys don't have money themselves. They're mm. poor, so they have to then, um, you know. Fulfil it. Yeah, they have to get some. Um, they have to get some um, favors from people, and so Ned's concerned about losing their money. The other yeah, people, okay. so these these people, have been good enough to put up the surety for him. Oh, that is a bit like Robin Hood. It is. Mm. So he um, anyway. So he's standing next to the horse. Hauls on the ground. The horse, obviously, because of the commotion, bolts. So Ned goes after the horse. So Ned says at this point. Hall says, you're under arrest, and pulls out his Colt revolver, his, his police-issued gun. Okay. And unbelievably pulls the trigger. Oh, that escalated. Yeah, didn't it? Gosh. So, So Ned hears the, the click of the gun. Now, the bullet doesn't fire. It's not a misfire. Just The bullet just doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> and so Ned stops and turns around. I mean, I mean, what what is your you said that escalate? But what's your view of that in terms of somebody's fleeing from police custody? What what are the police allowed to do? Well, I mean, fleeing from police custody does entitle a police officer to use a higher level of force. And in fact, if we think about shooting someone mm. or I guess tasering someone, if they're escaping or trying to escape from custody. That is, in particular circumstances, lawful for the police I'm, I'm to do. I'm not sure shooting will be. I mean, tasering, because that's a non-lethal. 
I think it's section 616 of the Police Powers Responsibilities Code in Queensland. So 615 says you can only use reasonably necessary force, yes. not amounting to death or GVH. Yes. But 616 says you can use potentially lethal force, which would have to include shooting someone. Sure, if. If someone is trying to escape from lawful custody. That's really? one of the provisions. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So he fires. Okay, let let's let's assume that at that point it's legal. I think it's an overreaction, but well, and and Ned Ned's not armed. Ned, and yeah, he's right. not threatening the police. And mm. so, if you even think about the ability to use potentially lethal force, yeah. it has to be, you know, it has to meet the criteria for why you had to do that. Like, why couldn't the police officer just chase after him? Yeah, you know, yeah, he wasn't under threat. Yeah. So Ned then stops, turns around. Hall gets up, walks towards him with the pistol, pulls the trigger three more times. What? Yes. Each time it misfires. Unbelievably. Yeah. Bit, the, bit, bit like the um, ankle monitors that they spent all the money on and they didn't quite work. <laughs> they didn't work, yes. So the police issued cobble, certainly the bullets in it didn't work. But, but I mean, it's got six shots. So Ned's there. He says he's shaking in fear. Police officer advancing on him, pulling the trigger on his police issued revolver. Wow! So Ned obviously is you know, like a game of Russian roulette. At what at what point is one of these gun bullets going to go yeah. off? So so when the police officer is close enough, Ned jumps on him and they wrestle for the gun. So Ned obviously decides I'm not going to wait to see what bullets five and six do. I'm going to try and get the gun on him. So then there's a wrestle to get the gun. Now. Unbelievably, Ned is a 16-year-old who, with a 30-kilo weight disadvantage, has the better of the wrestle. And he uh, is on top of Hall trying to wrench the gun out of his hand. Constable Hall then calls out for assistance and some local shopkeepers, a butcher and the blacksmith or whatever. And candlestick maker. A couple of candlestick maker. <laughs> um, Greta was known for its candlesticks. Um, they come out of their shop and they grab Ned and they restrain him and they tie him up. So Hall then gets off the ground and it, it gets even worse. He then comes over to Ned who is tied up and being held by these men and hits him in the head with the butt of his revolver as hard as he could. And that's what Hall said he did. That's not what he said. I hit him as hard as I could four or five times in the head. Wow. Hall says he did that as a justification for sort of restrain Ned because he didn't mention in his report that Ned was tied up at that stage. Of course not. Um, and he tried to say he was trying to knock him unconscious. Anyway, he doesn't knock him unconscious, unbelievably, but he certainly stuns him badly and puts an enormous gash in his head so that when the family arrive in town, they can follow the blood trail back to the police station. <gasps> wow. He gets nine stitches in his head. He's got a scar on his head for the rest of his life. But seriously, he had an angel on his shoulder that day. Oh, didn't he? Unbelievable. Well, I don't want to interrupt the flow of the story, mm. but, I mean, that idea of which I would call that police brutality. Mm. And I really want to say at the outset that we are probably going to talk today about police doing the wrong thing, mm -hmm. which is not something that we can deny. It happens. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say that I am, you know, very much in support of police generally. Like I, I don't want this to just become a police bashing exercise um i think in any you know group there will be bad apples mm. and i think that we 
can definitely point to many instances where police have done wrong. But overall, I think our police are not appreciated enough. Like I think they do put their lives on the line and they do do really a hard job mm. with not a lot of recognition or gratitude. Mm. Um, and my 16-year-old has wanted to be a police officer since he was two and mm. he is, you know, really keen to do that and I support him in that. Mm. But I worry because it's a really tough profession to undertake. So I just want that on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I think it's important to say, I mean, the police officers do do a very difficult job. Amazing. One of the few jobs where you could go to work and it, it's a possibility that you won't come home at That's the end of the right. day. I mean, And we've that seen that happen, happen yeah. in recent times. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, we're going to, well, I've got examples of police misconduct mm. and they're all from the media, but people aren't interested in reading the acts of heroism so much. Yeah. It's where there is things that you can be critical of that really garner the attention. So it's not a a fair reporting of police conduct overall. Yeah. I should also say that the standards of the people they allowed into the police force in Victoria in the you know 1870s was pretty low considering some of the people who are the police officers they're you know barely better than the people that they're arresting right uh, and 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 corruption was a problem in the Victorian police force at this time and at the end of uh, so Ned Kelly's hanged in November of 1880 in 1881 there is a royal commission into the causes of the Kelly outbreak and it looks at the police misconduct wow and identifies you know a number of problems about how the police handled the Kellys and the whole situation that really, co- you know, were causative of the... And were any of the police officers yeah. charged? Uh, I don't think anyone was charged. People people resigned and left the force, yeah. And and, and so this um, bashing mm. of Kelly on this day, mm. did were there any consequences for... No consequences for Constable Hall. He... And that, the, that still rings true today yeah. in a lot of cases. He... So at the at the subsequent trial, he says Ned was on a stolen horse. Ned proves that he was in jail when the horse went missing. Oh, gosh. And so they then charge him with receiving a stolen horse. Now, I don't actually have much of a problem with that because, I mean, you would have seen this as a prosecutor. If you can't prove that, if you know the property's stolen and you can't prove they stole it, you charge with receiving. That's a pretty standard. Yeah, it's always an alternative. Yeah. yeah. So he gets charged with receiving a stolen horse. Now, the question then becomes, well, how did Hall know the horse was stolen because mm. it wasn't reported, so it wasn't published in the Police Gazette until after he mm. had detained it. He was just a very good investigator. Well, well he purges himself. He said, oh, I read it in the Police Gazette, oh. <laughs> and then they proved that the Police Gazette came out. Okay, after. I was trying to yeah. find a way out for yeah. him there. No. But, but one of the other important things, and I think this is important for when we get to discussion of Stringbuck Creek, is this idea of this guy shooting at Ned or, or attempting mm. to shoot Ned in circumstances where Ned was unarmed and was not a threat and was just standing still. Mm. Because later on at Stringybark Creek, Ned is very concerned that the police are not going to ask him to surrender. As soon as I see him, they're just going to shoot him dead. Fair. So, And I, and you can understand why you'd think that when, as a 16-year-old boy, a yeah. grown police officer was pulling the trigger and trying to shoot you. But And you know what that makes me think of? So, mm. sidebar, yep. this idea of an unarmed. Yes. Well, and okay, so I, I'm thinking of the... The woman in the nursing home oh, yes. who was tasered, tasered and she died. This was in 2023. Yeah. So just last year. So a 95-year-old great-grandmother, she was holding a steak knife yeah. in 
her little nursing home she was in. Yes. Um, and advancing, wasn't she? She was approaching with the aid of her walking frame. Right. Uh, and the 33-year-old senior constable pulled his taser out and he tasered her once in the chest and a second time in the back just to ensure that she didn't pose him or anyone else a threat. Yeah. Um, so she fell to the ground, the 95-year-old. She fractured her skull and she spent the rest of her days in hospital mm. receiving end-of-life care and mm. she died a week later. And that police officer has now been charged. So she, he's been charged with three assault offences. Wow, okay. That, that's the charge yeah. because she died as a result of his actions there was public demand, I think, for more serious charges mm. to be laid. But so you read that and what it does is foster this idea that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There is no time for surrender. You know, like, mm. it's like the police sort of act now and justify after. Yeah, yeah. And that's 2023. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think probably these kind of arrest and detaining people are some of the most difficult situations police deal with. Yes. Accept that. Um, and that you're having to make split-second decisions. And the um, whole suicide by cop. Yes. Which, you know. We might need to explain that for people, suicide so by cop. So people who make a decision to aggravate or threaten police with the idea that they will be yeah, know, shot dead, shot dead yeah. as a consequence. I mean, what that must do to the police officers yeah. mentally, I, I, yeah, like it's the worst yeah. scenario you can picture. But I mean, that happens as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the example of the ninety-five-year-old grandma, great-grandmother, and you know Ned Kelly, sixteen-year-old, unarmed, standing still. I mean, are, are two occasions where the the force use was just not not warranted at all. No. So he goes off to jail and he does um, three years hard labour for that. And he's very annoyed, understandably, by that. He gets out and he then goes straight, as it were, 
So he gets out in, what are we talking, 1871? No, that's wrong. 1874 he gets mm. out. And the next thing that, that occurs, the Fitzpatrick incident, which starts the uh, Kelly outbreak, that doesn't occur till 1878. So he has a period where he works as in a sawmill and he works for a stonemason. Um, and he, his employers love him. They say he's fantastic, he's a hard worker, all of the men love him. But he gets to a point where the police, he feels the police harassment on his family was such that he just couldn't win. And so he did what would make him more money, which was horse and cattle stealing. Because uh, he was an excellent horseman. He knew all of the, he lived in the, in the, he was a great bushman. So he knew all of the, how to survive in the bush and all the, you know, backtracks to get places. And so they, he and a, and a group and a gang um, began stealing horses in Victoria. Taking, uh, taking them to New South Wales, across the Murray River, changing their brands, selling them, stealing horses in New South Wales, taking them across the Murray River, changing their brands and selling them. Right. And it was a very, very successful operation. But the police are onto them and the police have this um, large sort of task force tracking these horse thieves. And they're pretty sure they know who they are um, and they're building a case. And it reminded me of the kind of um, investigations I see now in terms of drug production and drug, right. and, you know, and, and trafficking. Yes. Um, and uh, drugs obviously weren't a huge feature in 19th century policing. So it seemed to me that horse cattle stealing was the, the, the 19th century version of what we would see <laughs> as our sort of drug task force. Not quite as lethal. For... No. Mm. They get enough evidence to arrest Dan Kelly for or to issue an arrest warrant for him for horse stealing. And um, a young constable, Alexander Fitzpatrick, he's, he's not particularly well liked. He's lazy. He's a drunkard. Um, he decides, presumably, that he's going to um, make himself, uh, put himself in the good graces of his superiors by arresting Dan Kelly. So he goes by himself to the Kelly homestead oh, at night. Stupid. Well, not only was it stupid, it was against the, a, a police order which said police shouldn't go to the Kelly homestead alone. He... Got him, gave himself some Dutch courage. He went to the pub beforehand. So he turns up and he's drunk. Now, exactly what happens is a matter of debate. Certainly we know that Dan Kelly was there and there is a description of a discussion. Um, Dan Kelly comes to the door and Alexander Fitzpatrick says he's got a, an arrest warrant. Dan Kelly says, I'm just having my dinner. Can you wait? <laughs> Fitzpatrick goes into the homestead. I mean, police wouldn't do that nowadays at all. No. They had an arrest warrant. You'd be straight to the station. Anyway, so they're sitting around the kitchen table. Dan's eating. The police officers. The police officers, yeah. Sitting there. Sitting at the table. Hilarious. Now then Ned tells a story, which is probably true, that Mrs. Kelly, who was pretty formidable, says, "What you know, why are you here? And Fitzpatrick says, um, there's a warrant for Dan Kelly's arrest. And Dan says, well, show me the warrant. And he says, well, I haven't seen the warrant. I've just seen a telegram. And <laughs> Mrs. Kelly says, well, you can't take him if you can't produce the warrant. Which is still the case. Um, well, you can't take him if the warrant doesn't exist. I think you don't have to have – you can act on the orders of someone else, can't you, for an arrest? Well – And you can do a warrantless arrest. You can do a warrantless arrest. There's, there's still some concern about acting on – orders of a superior in Queensland at least yeah. um, without knowledge of the matter yourself yeah. and forming your own reasonable suspicion. So there is a limit to exercising the power under those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are going to exercise any kind of warrant in Queensland, whether it's a search warrant or, or an arrest warrant, one of the first things is to 
provide the warrant yeah. to the person involved. Certainly it searches, yeah, absolutely. That's the first mm. thing they do. They say, here's the warrant. That's right. Um, so now exactly what happens next or how this all panned out is a matter of conjecture. and Historians argue about it. There is a pretty long-standing story that Alexander Fitzpatrick, who was a ladies' man, he was a Lothario, and he'd a already, drunkard. And a drunkard. He'd what already, a catch. I know. What a catch. <laughs> well, he'd already got one woman pregnant and hadn't married her oh. and he was going with another one. Anyway, so the story is that Kate um, Kate Kelly, who is 14 and uh-huh. the looker of the family, oh dear. the idea is that he makes some kind of a pass at her. Whatever happens is some kind of melee then takes place. He says he's hit in the head with a fry pan by Mrs. Kelly. Fair. Fair. He says that Ned Kelly then comes in and she fires three shots. Ned Kelly with two other men come in, fire three shots. One of them hits um, Fitzpatrick in the wrist. Now, Ned Kelly at first said he wasn't even there and he pointed out that Ned Kelly was a noted crack shot. I thought you were going to say noted liar. (laughs) Absolute crack shot. And he said, why, you know, why would I shoot three times in a, you know, house full of my brothers and sisters? Because in the house, I should say there's, Mrs. Kelly's got a three-day-old baby. Oh. Three, uh, I think she's got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and then there's the um, and then there's the uh, older Kelly children, 12, Sorry. 14. I thought the dad died. It's a second marriage. Oh, okay. So she's got three kids to her second marriage, and then she's got her older Kelly oh, children. poor woman. I know. So whatever happens, Fitzpatrick escapes. He does actually have a wound to his hand. It's a bullet n- wound? Um, there was no bullet in it, but it was a small wound. And so they said that Ned Kelly was said, oh, he did it himself with a pocket knife. But the best historian in Australia on Ned Kelly, uh, Ian Jones, says he thinks actually Ned did shoot him because Ned had this particular gun, really old-fashioned thing, which shot little balls ah. and not not that powerful. And he said that's the kind of wound it probably would have made. Right. So well, he Ian, learnt from the police, shoot first, talk later. Well, what happened, Ian Jones says he thinks this happened. There's some melee going on in the house. Ned is outside and hears it, comes in, fires the gun over the head of um, Fitzpatrick as a warning at exactly the moment Fitzpatrick puts his hands up to surrender because he sees Ned Kelly with a gun, hits him in the ah. wrist. Anyway, we don't know what happened, but the, the, the upshot of it all was then that warrants are issued for attempted murder against Ned and Dan, but also against Mrs. Kelly. What? And these two other men, one of them mistakenly identified who wasn't even there. Yeah, so Ned and Dan take to the hills. They've got a, a little hut on Bullock Creek, which is up in the Wombat Ranges, and they and they go there. Aptly named? Wombat Ranges. Bullock Creek. A bullock, sorry, oh, bullock. bullock Creek, Bullock <laughs> Creek. They um, so so Mrs. Kelly presumably doesn't think anything's going to happen. Besides the fact that she's got all these young kids, the police turn up the next day and arrest her. <gasps> she then spends the next. What about her baby? The the youngest goes with her. Oh. The 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 two year old and the four year old are then raised by the the their older half sisters, the Kelly sisters. Um, well, how long did she go to jail for? She gets three years hard labour. What? Yes. Well, well, it's is attempted- that for the fry pan? No, that's for attempted murder. What do you think? What, of that? As a party? Yeah. So they they said she was a party to Ned shooting Fitzpatrick. Yes. What did she do to aid? Well, hit hit him with a fry pan. I don't know. I don't know. Wow! But she did that before Ned Kelly even came in. Yeah. So so you're just to try and unpack this for people listening. Your query is. 
Although on what she basis? might, yeah, on what she's guilty, she might be guilty of an assault, but she doesn't have any knowledge that Ned's going to try. No, and, yeah. So mm. to be under our party provisions, which are where you can be liable for an offence you haven't committed yourself, yeah, you have to show that they did something to aid. Yep. And aiding can be encouragement, but mm. is there any evidence that she said shoot him or anything like that? Mm. Maybe standing there with a fry pan in hand after you just well, passive him. passive presence passive at presence. the scene of a crime is categorically not provided enough. your provided your presence doesn't encourage the yeah. Offender. But if so, she's just there. Yeah. Anyway. I find that. Sh- like what do you think about three years though for attempted murder of a police officer? Well, that seems a bit if short. If that to was, me. if it was a fair charge, mm. then I think that's a very light sentence, isn't it? But it, they, and that's in, I do too. But they have hard labour, which I think I, we don't have that anymore. No, and I wonder how that would change. We, I'm assuming now, we give higher head sentences, you know, maximum sentences, because we don't have this ability to make your life in jail. More miserable. difficult. Mm. Well, I think we do like make people well, sorry, like yes. miserable, but but physically, yes. So oh, I'm just still thinking about that little baby. Mm, well, it is with her in jail. The but whole even, time. But even worse, her other baby, Ned. She then sees him once more before he dies, and oh. that is in the week before he dies. They let her go in and see <gasps> him, and then he's hanged later. So she's in jail for the whole of the outlawry. Wow. Um, the other two men get six years each. And they do the full six. Even the misidentified one? Mm. What? I tried to prove that he wasn't there because he had alibis and I think the jury just didn't believe his alibis. That would have been a good case for you to do. I know. I would have loved that case. Total miscarriage Um, of justice. Yeah. Mm. So that occurs in, uh, when are we talking? Um, 1878. That's April. 1878 now. So we're we're seven years after his uh, release. No. Well, we're sort of, what, four years after? Oh, anyway. Yeah. He's released in 74, yeah, four years after his release. He's released in 1874 from his horse stealing and now he's, um, anyway, he's, murder. yeah, so he's on the run. He, there's a warrant for his arrest. It's not till after the trial in October of 1878 that the police make a really concerted effort to try and find them. So they get two police parties together, two police posses, and they leave from different towns and they head into the one bat ranges because they know that's where they are. Now, Ned on the uh, grapevine, hears this. And he um, hears that some of the police are saying they're not going to ask Ned Kelly to surrender, they're just going to shoot him as soon as they see him. Is that corroborated uh, now? Like, was that the attitude? Well, I must I don't know what the Royal Commission, if it even looked into that. I can certainly say this, the amount of guns and ammunition that the party that Ned comes across at Stringybark Creek is pretty phenomenal. I mean, they didn't just each have their service revolvers. They had shotguns, they had rifles, they had tons of ammunition. So Ned said it looked like they, he says they didn't look like they didn't mean to kill me, they meant to riddle me. So, and based on what's happened with Constable Hall, I think he can feel, you know, a little justified that the police might actually shoot him without asking him to surrender. Yeah. So he decides the only thing they can do. So there's this pincer movement of these two police parties. Now, the police don't exactly know where they are. And in fact, the camp at Stringabout Creek is quite close to Bullock Creek where the Kellys have their hut. So close that the Kellys hear the um, gunfire. Oh. Hear the gunfire because they, the police are shooting birds to eat. Oh. Yeah. Why didn't they pack food? Well, I suppose they did, but not fresh meat. I mean, this is before vac packing. Yeah. 
So they decide the only thing that they can do is go down, hold hold them up, bail up the police, and then take all their guns and then disappear over the border to New South Wales. So that that's the plan. So they go down. And it is just coincidence that Joe Byrne and Steve Hart happened to be there because lots of people of their friends were visiting him at Bullock Creek. But on this particular day, it's Steve Hart, Dan Kelly's friend, Joe Byrne, Ned's friend. And they all go down and they creep up. And just they, the four of them. Just though. the four of them. Yeah. yeah. I see the police camp, watch it for a while. I can see two police officers. They think the other two police are in the tents. After a while, they call out, bail up, throw up your arms. And they stand up there in, and so that people can see them. Now, the two police officers there, one's Lonigan and one's McIntyre. McIntyre immediately puts his hands up. Lonigan grabs a, a rifle, runs s- several metres, jumps behind a log, comes up. Ned says Lonigan was aiming at him. Ian Jones, the historian, says he thinks Lonigan was actually aiming at Dan Kelly. Whatever the upshot, Ned shoots Lonigan. You can only see his head, but as I said, he's a crack shot, shoots him in the eye, kills him. Kills him. Yeah. And he says, I shot him, otherwise he would have shot me or he would have shot Dan Kelly. So that sounds like a pretty straight-up case of self-defence, assuming, you know, taking away that they're police officers acting in their lawful duty. If somebody points a gun at you, you don't have to wait for them to shoot. You can shoot them first. Yeah, but you're discounting a huge part of it being that they were police officers. Yeah. A police officer acting outside of their duty. Uh, what? Their duty was to go and... Arrest them. And if they felt under threat, then they're entitled mm, to defend to, themselves. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Ooh, sticky. So Ned then goes into the camp. Lonigan's dead. They have McIntyre. They then are with McIntyre for an hour or so. McIntyre says the other two police officers, Scanlon and Kennedy, are away. Um, they're looking. They've gone looking for you. Kelly knows Lonigan. He'd been in a punch-up with Lonigan before. And Lonigan was one of the officers <laughs> saying he was going to shoot Ned right. and not ask him to surrender. Yeah. So in some sense, Ned doesn't have any no, – there's no tears for Constable Lonigan. Mm. He doesn't know McIntyre. He doesn't know Kennedy. He doesn't know Scanlon. They're from di- different parts of uh, you know the district, so he's never met them. And he says, I don't have any problems with any of you. I appreciate you doing your lawful duty, but you've got too many – they look at all the guns and they're like, you're clearly Serious. here. Yeah. And so he says to McIntyre, we'll go back and hide in the bushes. We're going to keep you under surveillance. When the others come back, you get them to surrender. The others come riding back through the bush. McIntyre says, the Kellys have us surrounded. You need to surrender. The um, the other two, Kennedy and Scanlon, think it's a joke. Scanlon starts unslinging his rifle. Ha, 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 ha. The Kellys all stand up, or well, the gang stands up, oh. says, bail up, throw up your arms. They realise it's not a joke. Kennedy immediately jumps off his horse and has his horse between them and the and the gang. Poor horse. Yeah. Um, and starts firing. Scanlon, who's on the horse, has a rifle on his shoulder. He's unslinging it. As he's unslinging it, he fires it at Ned. White, shoots wide, doesn't hit anybody. Ned fires back. Now, Ned says he was the one who shot Scanlon, but I think he was probably taking the... The um, all the historians think he was probably taking the rap for Joe Byrne, who's effectively beside Scanlon because Scanlon's wound is in his side and his chest, and he gets shot. Right. He he does get hit, I think, in the shoulder. Anyway, he he then is shot and falls on his horse dies. So then there's McIntyre and Kennedy. McIntyre jumps on Kennedy's horse and rides off. Sensible. 
well, sensible. Ned Ned says I could have shot him if I wanted to. And I mean, he's a pretty crack shot. He probably could have. He doesn't. He lets him right away. Kennedy is firing at them, so they fire back. Kennedy is retreating back through the bush, and Ned is going after him, firing. The others come up behind. Ned fires and hits Scanlan in the shoulder, doesn't realise, knows he's hit him, but doesn't realise that the shot means Kennedy drops his gun. Kennedy runs to the next tree, blood pouring down his arm into his hand, steps out from behind the tree trying to surrender, trying to put his hands up. Ned sees something dark in his hand, which turns out to be blood, fires again, hits him in the chest, drops Kennedy. Can I ask, was he running backwards? When he was shot in the shoulder, or did Ned fire into his back? No, no. For, for, he was he was behind a tree firing at Ned, or uh, you know, and shot him in the shoulder. Right. And then uh, the, Kennedy was retreating backwards up. Backwards. The, well, okay. sorry, he was running from tree to tree, but back up the hill to try and get away from them. Um, and Ned's advancing on him, firing. Like picturing it in my head, it is not looking good for Ned. I've got to say no, sure. I, I think this is, and this is the, the this is the 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 killing that I find most problematic. Mm. They run up to Kennedy. They as they're running up, they see that his pistol is nowhere near him. He dropped it, you know, and they realise he was unarmed. They feel terrible. They see, you know, it was just in the He's heat dying. of the moment. You know, snap decision, fire, and they hit him. He's still alive. Oh, jeez. But they know that. They've got to leave because the police are going to be on them. He's that badly injured. He's not going to survive. And so what do they do? Do they shoot him? So Ned shoots him and kills him. Right. And so that idea of this mercy killing, killing somebody who's going to die anyway, you know, effectively putting them out of their misery, that's something which is, I think, well, I mean, is it morally problematic? As You know, as you are killing somebody and you are you are deliberately causing the death. I mean, it's a murder. Well, and... He could have stayed and tried to staunch the wound. You don't know that. (laughs) But he wanted to save himself. So the choice he made was, oh, well, I'll do it this way instead. But he had another option. Well, I mean, I'm no medical expert, but the people who were there who had presumably seen gunshot wounds before were pretty convinced that he was not going to survive. But maybe Maybe a couple of hours lying there. He, in the end, he wasn't found for another three days. I mean, he wasn't going to survive three days. Took the police three days to 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 make it there and well, find. Well, he wasn't going to survive three days without any attention. But who knows what could have? Who knows what could have been done if he'd had some kind of aid from the Kellys? But they yeah. didn't want to get caught. Which I mean, I understand that, but I don't know that we can say it's not morally problematic i think it is morally problematic i think it is yeah good Uh, (laughs) i do i certainly don't think it's justified but i mean that idea of mercy killing is not a new idea um no and it look a little bit different but again sidebar but just in 2022 there was a guy in cairns who was paid five thousand dollars to cut off another man's leg mm. and it happened in a public park like it was on, oh my lord it was on cctv footage i've got a friend who's a police officer um up there and he saw it and clearly it didn't go well 
No. So was the, it from the knee down? Please tell me it was. Uh, no, I think it was quite high. Wow. And you could see the guy who'd cut off the leg then dragging the leg and the guy whose leg was cut off crawling for a little short moment before he died, like he died from that. And he's been charged with the, the death, obviously, mm. even though he was paid, was doing it at the request of the victim. Mm. But I guess it's, you know, a different motivation mm. but still this idea where it's not a murder out of malice yeah. you know what i mean yeah and so that was recent yeah. like these things yeah you know. i mean kennedy didn't want to be shot i think he said don't shoot me oh no shot well this guy i sh can i just tell you but the guy who asked for his leg to be cut off they said that he had some issue with his body image oh wow and thought he'd be better off without the leg yeah so i mean it wasn't it wasn't a a fair request no but i mean you can't consent to grievous bodily harm being done oh on no you anyway. no consent's irrelevant yeah but i guess if you're looking at the motivation behind yeah. the crime yeah in a in a mercy killing yeah. or something like that where he was requested to do it yeah i mean it's not a defense no but it's a different level of culpability mentally yeah I was thinking about this in World War One. There's a story at Passchendaele, you know, on the Western Front. You know, it's mud and really dangerous mud that you get sucked into. And there's a, a a guy in no man's land who is stuck in the mud up to his neck. Can't get out. They can't pull him out. Oh. And he is just dying over a course of a number of days, begging people to shoot him. And they did. Well, it's unclear, but because the story just isn't finished, but I think that they might have. Yeah. I read a thing. Um, from the US, mm. from it, it was from 2006, so it's old now, but it was about um, killings in combat mm. circumstances and how there was a um, su suggestion through a research paper mm. that uh, if someone does a mercy killing in a combat context, mm. that the soldier who does the mercy killing shouldn't be charged with premeditated murder because of the circumstances mm. leading to that offence and the consequences for those army people. Mm. Uh, and and I think even though 2006 now is nearly 20 years ago, like that's not that ancient history. No. And for that to still arise yeah. as a... Yeah. Well, I suppose you're in a combat zone, you get... You get injured very badly. Yes. You, you know there's no way that they can get medical assistance to you. You know you're going to die. I know. You know you don't want to be captured because you might be killed by the enemy or tortured. And so they, there obviously are examples of mm. mercy killings, mm. but then those soldiers were being charged with premeditated murder. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a really tough one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So Ned and the gang then escape. Um, and they are then declared outlaws, which is something we don't have nowadays. But you are then outside the law. You're entitled to be killed, shot on sight. Is that what it means? Yeah, no legal protections apply to you. Yeah. Wow. Outlaw, you're outside of so the law. So when we say outlaw motorcycle gangs... We don't actually mean... We don't mean that kind of outlaw. No. We uh, we mean that... Uh, oh, I suppose we're just saying it in that sort of sense that they're very bad. But right. Yeah, it traditionally meant you were outside the law. So, wow. Yeah, unbelievable. And then they go on, the gang then goes on to commit these two bank robberies. Nobody else is shot in the two bank robberies, completely violence-free. Um, they hold up the, the entire, they hold up a, a station 
uh, and then rob the bank at your eye. They hold up the entire town of Geraldry. Oh, my God. I know. Well, not the entire. I mean, they take over the, the hotel. They take over the police station. They take over. Nobody gets shot. Uh, the, the, some of the most successful bank robberies in Australian history, and they get away with what in today's money is millions and millions of dollars. Really? Yeah, which is never Where found. It, oh. it gets distributed amongst all their sympathisers and their supporters. Really? Yeah. So, um, and then they have the siege at Glenrowan, which is a whole story in itself I won't go into. But as I say, I think it's hard to justify those behaviours because by that stage, you know, how do you justify robbing a bank? I mean, yeah. that's hard, unless you look at it in a political context. But in a legal context, it's pretty straight up and down. Yeah. So that's why I wasn't really going to look at that. I just wanted to look at these early ones where, you know. Well, and it and it does make you ask, if he hadn't been tr- treated like that mm. in his early years, would his story have gone the way it did? And I think you can draw parallels to current policing. You know, you know that mm. there's profiling done Mm. by police you know that there are certain offenders or groups of offenders who do get targeted Mm. and you can see why those types of people a don't have any respect for the law Mm. and b do the things they do because regardless Mm. they're going to come to police attention one way or another so i think Maybe Ned Kelly would have always become an outlaw, but you well, don't know that. No. Um, certainly some people felt that in another context he would have been a, a great man, um, you know, because he was so talented. Yeah. But he certainly felt that it was the police behaviour towards him and his family that caused his outlawry. And he said, so when he was in prison um, waiting execution, he wrote a number of letters or gave interviews and um, to the media. Yeah. And in in one of them, he says this, and I thought it was something we might um, end with. He says, if my life teaches the public that men are made mad by bad treatment and if the police are taught that if they may not exasperate to madness, men they pursue and ill-treat, my life will not be entirely thrown away. People who live in large towns have no idea of the tyrannical conduct of the police in country places far removed from the court. They have no idea of the harsh and overbearing manner in which they execute their duty or how they neglect their duty and abuse their powers. Wow. Yeah. I know you want to end on that, but can I just finish on a a little story? So the friend of mine who I just mentioned who's a police officer in Cairns, Mm. he started his career as a police officer in Surface Paradise and it was a really tough Mm. place to be a police officer and an opportunity came up for him to take a position in Blackwater, a little country town. Yeah. So this does go against what Ned Kelly said there. But um, he told me about the first arrest he Mm. effected when he was in Blackwater. Mm. And he said that in Surface Paradise, if you're going to arrest someone, there's a process. And I think colloquially it's called beasting. So you get them on the ground, you pull their arm up behind them so you can cuff them Mm. and then they're under control. So he had to arrest this fellow in Blackwater and he he did that. He got him on the ground and he pulled his arm up ready to cuff him and he said the guy on the ground sort of just turned his head and goes, you're new, aren't you? <laughs> and the other police officer he was on duty with said, mate, you can just ask him to hop in the back of the van. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, I mean, there is definitely a difference. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's right. Nowadays, uh, I think the policing country is, you know, a small area, you know, they tend to know the population. Yeah. Uh, I think in some some ways it can be better than policing in metropolitan areas. But say so that that 
you know. But certainly that idea that men are made mad by bad treatment, I've, I've always remembered that, and and it strikes me so often in criminal law that the the the, the, the way that people are treated by the police and just by the system generally can often, you know, lead to more problems. Oh, and and look, a whole other episode perhaps, but I. I come back to my really strong feeling when it comes to juveniles that, you know, incarcerating them and this reform to build a new prison for juveniles and hold them in watch houses, I think once you're in that system, it is so difficult Mm. to break away from Mm. it. And so we're not creating but we're allowing not rehabilitation in any way but this building on whatever issues were there in the first place and they become accustomed to it professionals they have contact with other criminals and that kind of sentences them to a life on that path yeah and i mean that and um the sad thing is that's a lesson that we could have been learning from the 1880s in victoria isn't that crazy we're probably still not learning anyway but ned kelly hero or villain oh well now i'm i'm more torn than i was at the start i think he maybe started as a hero but perhaps he ended, ended as a as villain, villain. Mm. Yeah. i don't like that shooting i don't either i mm. find that problematic anyway yeah, I so that. interesting joe who All would right. have thought crimes from the 1800s would grab your attention like that? <laughs> <laughs> lovely all right well thanks lizzie thanks joe thanks for tuning into this episode you can find links to the cases that we discussed in the description You can also find a link to Guardian Criminal Law and a big shout out to them for making this podcast possible. The majority of criminal cases involve people, normal people, people like you, people like me, who find themselves in an unusual set of circumstances that would not usually occur in their life. My name's Mark Savick and I'm here to assist you with your criminal matter. I look forward to hearing from you and being of assistance to you. If you're interested in clips, you can look at them on Instagram and TikTok. Just search for Justice Matters Pod. See you next episode. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly. But sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Jen from My Mom So Hard. And we're here to talk about By Heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called By Heart. And it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell them my mom so hard sent you.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.